This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You are the leader in the courtroom, and you want the jury to be looking to you for the answers. When you figure out your theory, never deviate. You want the facts to be consistent, complete, incredible. The defense has no problem running out the clock. Delay is the friend of the defense. It's tough to grow a firm by trying to hold on and micromanage. You've got to front load a simple structure for jurors to be able to hold on to. What types of creative things can we do as lawyers, even though we don't have a trial setting? Whatever you've got to do to make it real, you've got to do to make it real. But the person who needs convincing is you. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation. Your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have my partner, Mallory Peacock. How are you doing, Mallory? I'm doing good. I'm happy that you're back from vacation. (laughs) Yeah, and that's actually what we're going to talk about is I just took a two-week out-of-the-country vacation. I did not take my work cell phone with me. I spent a total of 10 minutes over two calls because there one, one got a little long. There was a two-minute and eight-minute call while during those two weeks calling the office, and I checked my email three times during those two weeks. And uh, I didn't even know that you checked it at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm working on it. Next year, maybe I won't check it at all. This year, I checked it three times. And so I think that's something that would be an interesting thing to talk about both, you know, how I was able to do that and why, and then what it was like for you being in charge of the law firm while I was, uh, while I was gone. I think it's a really interesting topic because I've heard you tell people before, I go on vacation for two weeks and I leave my cell phone at home in another country um, and people go, no, you didn't or what? And so how you did it, I think it could be really interesting to the audience. Well, then I'll let you take the lead. Okay. Well, um, a few years ago, I want to say it was three or four years ago was the first time that you did it. And that time I think you went for, was it four weeks without a phone or you, maybe you went two weeks and then came back, but we're still on vacation or something like that. Yeah. I I, I took four straight weeks off, no phone for two of them. Uh, the first time. Yeah. When you first told me you were going to do this a few years ago, I thought, okay, felt confident that everything would be fine, but I didn't think that you'd be able to do it (laughs) Uh, when you first told me about it. So the first time it happened and you went and you, you didn't call in, you maybe sent me a text, maybe two or three times, Hey, checking in. And every time I said, everything's fine, don't worry about it. I was surprised about your self-control and your, in your ability to enjoy your vacation, not check in and just trust that nothing was burning down. And every year since then, you've been trying to at least go two weeks, like you said, if not four. And uh, I think it's been successful. We've been able to manage. We've kept cases coming in. We've kept settling cases. Litigation continues. And the office continues to be managed. But it's uh, a team that you've put in place to be able to do that. Yeah. And I will say the four weeks actually caused some stress on the firm. Uh, When I got back, there were some fires that that needed to be put out. And frankly, uh, calls of stress in my family to have me home for four weeks and not leave, uh, leave them. And so, and that's why I decided four weeks was too much. You know, I, I'm hoping that sometime in the next 10 years, we get to the point where I can spend, you know, more and more time of taking these little breaks, um, as we, as I get older and maybe want to start 
transitioning where I'm not running the firm anymore in 10 years or 15 years. It's, I think it's a kind of good practice way to do it. But for my own mental health, for my own ability to bond with my family, I found that not having my cell phone with me, which takes away my ability to check email while I'm sitting out, it means that when other people text me, I don't get those texts. When other people call me, I don't get those calls because it's so hard not to take them when they're happening. And also, if I have my phone, there's no one else to answer it or to respond to those texts. I haven't yet to find a technology that makes the texts or phone calls go somewhere else for my cell phone. So to me, it's the only way that, that I can really be present for my family. And then with the time zone difference, too, I'd be getting, I would have been getting texts and phone calls while we're all asleep. I know I can just silence the phone, but it just, it's better to have it here and have someone man, man, actually woman it, I guess. It was Reagan, my assistant, that was handling my phone. So a few years ago when you first did this, what made you decide that the firm was ready for you to do this, that you had the people in place where you felt like, okay, I can definitely do this and the firm won't burn down while I'm gone? Well, I didn't know for sure the firm was ready until I did it. Now, one thing is, even though I don't take my work phone with me, I do have a second phone and very, very, very few people have that phone number. It's just my parents, my wife, you, Sonia, my assistant, Reagan, and Teresa are operations managers. So those seven people are the only people in the whole world that have that number. Uh, and I only use it when I go on vacation. Other than that, it just, uh, you know, I let my son play video games on it and stuff, but I don't, I don't uh, use it for texts or calls because it's strictly my kind of my vacation phone or, I want. I need some time off, but so that gives me some comfort that I know that if there is a true emergency, y'all could get a hold of me. And there was one time when I was on vacation, there was a true emergency, and somebody had uh, was forging our checks from our trust checks from our trust account and trying to pass them. And we had uh, I was sitting on a balcony in Hawaii with the bank having to shut down and freeze our account, but make sure the outstanding checks didn't get frozen. And and you know that because I was the signatory, I'm the only one that could do that. So. Knowing that if there was a true emergency that someone can, that y'all could get a hold of me, and then knowing that y'all have the having enough trust in you that we've built up over the years to to know that you know the difference between a real emergency and a non-emergency was a lot. But I think a lot of it is just we people listening to the podcast know that we've been working for years on putting together policies and procedures, and you know knowing how things run, and then you know not a whole lot happens in litigation with less than a two-week run-up. Uh, I mean, every now and then you'll get a hearing set or, but typically, you know, depositions, definitely trials, hearings, you usually have more than two weeks notice. And uh, so, you know, we can plan for those things and make sure that there's nothing happens during those two weeks where I'm needed. Some courts, people follow these vacation notices, but we have enough other competent lawyers that there really wasn't anything that could happen that I didn't think that one of the other nine of you at the firm couldn't handle because you're, you're smart, competent people and you can do that. So, but a lot of that was, 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 you know, that the firm was prepared for it. The other thing you had to be prepared for is the people we do business with. And so I was always scared that, well, you know, the referring lawyers that we work with would get upset that I wasn't available 24-7. But they all seem really happy for me that I get to do it. We do care about each other. And, you know, they know that if I keep myself healthy and, you know, I, I can do a better job on the cases I do for them. But I, I, let, I let them know. I don't just surprise them that, hey, you know, where they call and I just don't answer. I got a list of all the people we do uh, that we're doing business with currently that we currently have cases with. And I let them all know, hey, I want to be out of town from this date to this date. And I am not going to send, I'm not going to have my cell phone. So if you send me a text, my assistant Reagan's going to do it. So 
just keep in mind, I might think something's funny, but she might not. So <laughs> watch what you send. Although I'm, you know, we're all in our fifties. We're pretty tame in what we send each other. But there was one friend on one chat group that was a little horrified when I told him someone else is going to be monitoring my phone. But I said, well, then don't send anything that you wouldn't want her to read. <laughs> so, uh, but I just said, you know, look, on the case of working together, you know, like Mallory's handling these cases and this is her, this is her email address and Sonia's handling these cases and Laura's handling these cases. And, you know, we just listed them out. If you have a new case, this is who you need to talk to. If there's an emergency, call Mallory. She can handle it. And we just let them all know and, you know, so that people were prepared for it. And then, you know, it worked really hard with Reagan, my assistant, on this is what to do. If people call for this, route them here. If people call for that, route them here. This is how you answer them. And so just working with her so we had a plan and she was able to handle those things. How specific was your plan for your assistant? I think people are wondering, did she just kind of make it up when people called or did you, did you actually write out some, some sample scripts? I mean, how specific did you get with her? Yeah. The first time I did, I wrote out a lot of sample scripts. Uh, Reagan has a really good head on her shoulders. And so I don't need to be as micromanaging with her, but we did have some sample. Like if someone asked about a case, say Michael's going to be out of town from this time to this time, but so-and-so is handling the case in his absence. Uh, is it okay? That, I'm going to pass the message along to them. If someone called about a new case, Michael's out of town, but we're ready to jump in. Can you talk to Yolanda or, or Mallory if it was a bigger case uh, so that we can get more information and, and make the decision? And, and and letting people know that, you know, on 95% of cases, y'all can make a decision without my input because, you again, you're smart. You've been doing this for a long time. You're in the meetings when we're discussing what our case selection criteria are. And, and as I told you and told everyone else at the firm, I empowered you to make decisions while I'm gone. And even if it, you made a different decision than the decision I would make, the small risk of that happening is more more than worth it for my ability to go on vacation for two weeks without my phone. So whenever you're gone, I always try to think, what would Michael Cowan do? So there were a few decisions that I was able to just push off until you came back. You know, I mean, we know when you're coming back, right? So um, I think when you came back, you had a list from your assistant of all the all the things that I was able to at least push off. But there were only a couple of things I had to make a decision about right then to get the ball rolling on something. And if I didn't make the right decision, I would know that you would tell me later <laughs> privately and say, hey, that wouldn't be what I would have done. But you know, I did try to do my best to think, what would Michael want to do and do that? <laughs> well, thank you. And it, and it worked. I mean, but we've also worked together for 12 years. And so for other people thinking of doing this, I mean, you know, I would make sure that you have systems in place, that you have people you trust in place before you do it. I mean, I, I definitely, if I had tried this, let's say in 2001 or 2005, it would have been a disaster. We weren't ready yet. And back then I had my cell phone with me and I did return call, you know, check my email every night from Europe when I went on a European vacation in 2004. And I did have to call into the office every day when I was out. Hey, is everything okay? And then part of it, I had to be, there was a little part of me that liked being that important where I had to call in every day and that things couldn't go without me. And I had to learn to let that go and just maybe learn a little humility that other people, I'm not, I'm not so much smarter than everyone else that other people can't make decisions. And uh, there's a great freedom to that because we have to unplug to be able to, to, to get back in. You know, we have, we have a really busy August coming up. And if, if I went burned out when 
you know, we have, I am set for trial with somebody at the firm uh, for five different trials in four weeks, four weeks, you know, four weeks in a row, one to two trials every week are set. Uh, obviously, they can't go. And again, the only way I can do that is that we have really good, smart people that can do 99% of the work getting those cases ready. And then I come in and help where I add the most value for the trials. Because I, I could not get ready for that many trials myself if I was in charge of getting those cases ready. But yeah, but because we have systems in place, because we have good people, and also you had other people to lean on while you were gone. You, you know, we have a management team and uh, you all still met every Friday without me. And so if it was a decision you weren't ready to make on your own, you could talk to Teresa. And when Sonia got back from her vacation, because she was out one week too, uh, to Sonia and didn't come up with that. Yeah. I did decide next year that you and Sonia can't take a vacation at the same time. <laughs> there needs to not just be me, maybe have her here too. That way, because, you know, we're litigating cases, so I'm not always immediately available when something happens. But if there's two of us or three of us here, then maybe someone is available. You know, if something is happening and, and there's something more urgent, but there was more management in the week that you and Sonia were both gone, probably more management than litigation work that I was doing, which was part of it. And it's fine. But I think next year I'm going to, I'm going to insist you do your vacation separately. <laughs> and I, I originally had planned on taking my vacation much earlier. Uh, I was going to go in at the end of May and early June, but then my son who's going to be senior in high school. Uh, when we talked to his college counselor, she's like, well, the SAT is June 4th, or August 27th. And I wanted him to have a second chance in case he didn't do well. And so we moved my vacation because of I wanted him to be able to take his SAT and do his SAT prep. And, and he did all right on the SAT, so it, it worked out. But yeah, next year, don't let me do that. <laughs> so um, in the week before you were going to go on vacation, was there anything that you did that people would want to know? Because you, you're saying we have systems in place, but these are systems we've had in place for a long time. But there was some stuff that you did to prepare right before you went out. Yeah. Well, one was letting everyone know. Two was really going over the calendar, going over the deadlines, what was coming up so that people could, wouldn't need to reach out or wait or panic that we would have that planned out. The third thing, and this is something I want to try to keep doing, is I told all the lawyers that, you know, Reagan, my assistant, was going to monitor my email. If it was any email about a case, if that other lawyer was copied on it, the lawyer that's like the primary handling lawyer at the firm, that my, she was just going to delete it and they're going to be in charge of it. If that lawyer wasn't copied on it, she was going to forward it to them and then delete it. And so that they had to assume that I am not going to read any case-related emails. And if they want, if it's something where they need to talk to me about it, well, if it's a true emergency, which didn't happen, then they need to talk to you and or Reagan and then let them judge whether it's worthy of actually calling me or not. And if it's not a true emergency, then they need to let me know that they need to make an appointment to talk to me about it when they get back because – you know, trying to, me trying to monitor emails on so many different people's cases is too much. And so I think I'm going to try to stick with that now so I can focus even more on just the big stuff. And, you know, I just get distracted by the, all these other emails. And it's hard for me not to read my emails as they come in. But if I could just like only check my emails so many times a day and let Reagan delete and, you know, forward and delete so I never even see them, then I could stay more focused. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good idea, especially because you're copied on a lot of emails that you don't need to look at. I mean, just because you're listed counsel on a case with us, you don't need to look at the day-to-day -day things. And so it is distracting to look at things that you never needed to look at, but to decide that you've already spent a few minutes looking at it, you know? And so it does waste a lot of time. And when you have another lawyer that can just 
tell you about it, or if you need to see it, send you a message about it or something like that, then, you know, then, you know, okay, this is something that needs my attention without having to weed through all of the other stuff. And and I will tell you, if I didn't have the ability to check my email and I did check it three times because it, well, a couple was because I was bored because my family was saying forever to get ready. And I (laughs) I just (laughs) needed something to do to, to occupy my mind. You could play Candy Crush or check your emails. Those are the choices. (laughs) I had, two games on my phone and I was bored with both of them. And so then I went to my email, but you know, also being, I, I logged in a file vine a couple of times just to look at my tasks and, or I knew there was a mediation. I wonder if what happened to the mediation, but having the ability to do that takes the stress away. Cause I know that if something did come up, I can look it up. Right. Right. So how many times did we call you during the two weeks? Zero. So it worked, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe when you go back, you're like, Oh, maybe they should have called me. I don't know. No, absolutely not. I, and I was very, I thought I was going to have a much longer to-do list and I didn't. And, you know, and, and things, things happened while I was gone. I mean, our, our bookkeeper gave her two week notice. I mean, that's a huge thing, but what could I have done about that? I mean, you know, manage Teresa went and talked to her. She couldn't talk her out of it. So she, as far as I know, drafted an ad and put an ad in and it's going to start recruiting another one. I mean, what would me being here have, have changed any of that? Cases settled, cases came in, the world kept turning. Yep. I think hearing the success story about it is helpful to people because I think they hear that you left your phone, but in their mind, I bet in the back of their mind, they're thinking, yeah, but he probably ended up taking calls. He, he had some phone number. They called his wife or, or, you know, he checked, went to an internet cafe and checked his email every day. But the reality is you didn't. I didn't. I did text you about one work-related thing. You were out something short and you were able to respond to me right away. Yeah. But it was just one thing. And it was just right. a, I had given instructions to accounting to write a giant check for something. And before you signed a six figure check, you wanted to make sure I, it was really me. And uh, Right. It wasn't fraud or something. Right. And that, and that was appropriate. And, and it took, you know, 15, 20 seconds of my time. Uh, and, and that's, you know, and that's one of the things, you know, we, I know and respect you enough where I trust your judgment on those things. The other thing that has to be possible with your firm, of course, to do this is that you have someone else that's here that can authorize payment or write checks or that you've planned enough ahead so that you don't have to write any checks for the time that you're gone. I mean, firm does checks once a week, but every once in a while there's an emergency or or emergency. People say things are emergencies that never really end up being emergencies, but it is what it is. So, so that would be one thing that you would have to plan for. You'd have to either authorize someone to pay on your account or just make sure you plan in advance so you don't need to be issuing any checks um, during the time you're gone. Yeah, and, and I think sometime in the next year, I want to find a way to get myself out of being the main person that signs checks to. But I, I haven't figured that out yet because, again, it's not a high value. It's only done out of fear that if I'm not the one signing checks, that things will slip through. Because I do think – I haven't caught any fraud, but I've caught like – hey, we already paid that, or hey, we didn't agree to pay that, or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I catch those every time I sign checks. As yeah. It's part of doing business that that happens, that you, someone has to be keeping an eye on it. You don't just automatically send out checks just because someone sent you an invoice. Right. But part of it is just instinct. You have to know enough of your cases to think, hmm, this is a weird thing to, that someone has requested us to pay. Or you know enough about the case to say, there's no way that we would owe this expert and it, this must be a duplicate invoice or something like that. So, right. And who who at the firm knows that much information besides you? But could someone else? Yes, they could learn. Yeah, absolutely. 
No, I think this is a, a real lesson and, and it's, uh, Bill Biggs, who the last podcast we did, uh, t told me to read a book. Actually, he told me during the podcast called Multipliers, and I was listening to it during my trip. I haven't quite finished it yet because, you know, I only listen to it when I was flying and stuff. I'm not going to spend time in Paris and Barcelona listening to a business book. But it really is on how great leaders get more out of people because they develop them and empower them and get them to reach their potential. And part of that is you have to let people do things and not do everything for them, and you have to get out of the way sometimes. And I think this is kind of teaching me that I could probably be doing even more of that, which would free me up to really, you know, one of my frustrations in the business is I still spend a lot more of my time than I want to on smaller things, like little details in smaller cases, take away my time to spend as much time as I'd like on our five biggest cases, spend as much time as I'd like on developing our lawyers uh, to become better lawyers. And so seeing that we survived two weeks without me uh, here at all, uh, and even not really even looking much at the firm at all, I'm thinking more and more like how can I train and empower people to do more and more of the small and medium stuff so that I can really be present for the big stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things from my perspective that is always eye-opening to me whenever you go on vacation, I mean, you've done it for a few years now, so um, is how much management you do for the firm. <laughs> So I know you do a lot of management, but when I have to do some of it, it feels like, wow, Michael is fielding a lot of questions all day long. <laughs> um, and so getting yourself out of that a little more, I think you'd be happier because I know when I was doing it, I kept feeling like, oh, I just want to do my cases. Can someone else figure this out? <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, you know, I mean, but that's, I mean, that's the way that we have it set up then. And it, you know, at some point you're the owner of the firm, you have to figure some of it out, but, <laughs> but I yeah. do, I do. Uh, you know, realize how much of the management you do do. And at some point, that's probably going to be you doing more and more of it till you're the owner of the firm. So we need to figure these things out for the future. And that's not tomorrow, but, you know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm not old. I'm only 52, but I don't plan on doing this at 80. So, yeah. and you've got a lot more years left in you than I have in me. So we're going to have to, I think this is good stuff. It's good little practices to start, you know, getting you used to that and maybe thinking of ways like, man, that was a real pain in the butt. How can we do this better where it's not constantly interrupting me? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what is experience like of, you know, having to, to deal with that management in addition to, uh, and, and dealing with, you know, you have the responsibility now of making decisions because I've been told I don't want to make them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, some decisions come easy to me because I've seen you make the decisions in the past. So it feels like I know what the right answer is. I know what you would do. And then some of them were a little harder. Um, you know, for example, the bookkeeper quit and we had to come up with an ad for, because I, because I, me and Teresa, our office manager had talked about it. And I said, well, we need to post something today because she only gave us two weeks. I mean, we need to move the ball now, start recruiting so that we're not too long without a bookkeeper. And um, part of it was, well, what do we want in a bookkeeper? And we hadn't, we haven't hired one in a really long time because she had been with the firm for a while. And so, you know, I had to sit down and think about it and think about, you know, do we want to train someone from scratch? Do we want someone with some experience? How much do we want to pay? What is the range? All of these kind of things that go into putting an ad and for a position that we haven't really put an ad out for a really long time. It was stressful because I kept feeling like, is this the right move? But the stakes were low. So because, I mean, you were going to be back, we probably wouldn't hire anybody before you got back. 
And so if you thought, oh my God, you, y'all, y'all are insane. You're giving away the farm from bookkeeper or something like that. You could correct the mistake before we did it, right? But it was still, it felt a lot of stress about it because I felt like, I hope, I hope these are the decisions that Michael would make because it's not a decision I'd seen you make before. But when it comes to the case stuff, that stuff is easier for me to make decisions on because I feel like I have the background and the knowledge for it. So I can just say, okay, yes, do this. Or a lawyer came to me and was like, is this a good settlement on a case? I looked it up, learned about the case and said, yes to one, no to another, hold out for money. So, you know, I mean, those I feel good about. It's more of the management stuff that I feel still a little, am I doing the right thing here? Yeah. You want a little secret? Yes. I still feel like, <laughs> am I doing the right <laughs> thing here? <laughs> so that ne- that never goes away, Mallory. I hate to break it to you, but uh, I mean, it, it, gets e- it gets a little easier, but you know, you know, I was talking to some young lawyers. I just came back. I, I got back uh, Saturday night, about midnight. I got home and I got up early the next morning to fly to Seattle for the AAJ convention. And I always get to speak to, one of the things I like is, is meeting some of the younger lawyers and trying to put them in touch with the right people that want to get involved. And, and so, you know, I was talking to a couple of the younger lawyers like, well, this is just, you know, you know, I don't know how you ever get to know enough about this stuff. I feel like I, I know one, one, uh, I'm not gonna say her name because I don't want to embarrass her, but she was actually speaking at the at the convention she's like you know I'm, I'm i've been practicing this over and over again i just everyone else knows so much more than i do and all this stuff and i'm like i want to give you a little secret they don't <laughs> you do just fine uh you know there's people speaking on things that they haven't even done before they just got someone else's powerpoint so you know stop being you no know, stop being so hard on yourself everyone's got a little bit of this imposter syndrome but it's uh you know we never have all the answers it's always we're just doing our best when it comes to management stuff especially now the, the law stuff you know i mean you never have all the answers, but you get, we get pretty good at that. But, you know, how to hire a new bookkeeper when that's something we hopefully only do every five to 15 years, it's, you know, we're <laughs> right. not ever going to have a lot of practice in that. The one thing I do know is that if any of us were going to give away the farm and overpay, it would not be you or Teresa, it would be me. <laughs> so. uh, I did, I did tell everybody before, or when you left the first attorney meeting we had, I said, you know, and if, if you're asking me for money for a case, you just remember that I'm not Michael Cowan. I'd probably say no. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I am a little more conservative when it comes to that <laughs> than you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm probably the, the, the right result is probably somewhere in the middle, but I, I, I get irrationally exuberant and overspend my cases and other people underspend. So maybe if we all get together, we, we'll get a, end up right where we need to be. It all evens out. And, you know, most of, I mean, 99% of the time you're right. We should have spent the money on it. I usually hold out a little too long and then I think, oh my gosh, okay, we need to spend the money now. <laughs> and it's, and it's yeah. urgent because I, I think, oh, I should have just done this when I thought about it originally instead of trying to wait. It all evens out. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us by calling 210-941-1301 to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. So other than, let's think of how we can make this better next year. Just, you know, because we know, like, the biggest things I did is we had good policies and procedures in place. I let other people know that we did business and I was going to be out and this is who you need to talk to and how to get a hold of them and had it in writing so they would all have that. There are no surprises. You know, gave very clear instructions to 
you to Teresa and especially to Reagan, the person that was handling my email and and phone and text, you know, about this is how you respond in these, you know, I thought of what, you know, the most common situations would come up, this is how to respond. And then you've suggested in the future that Sonia and I not have not vacation at the same time. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anything else that you think we should change for the future to make it better, you know, for the other people should think of if they're going to do this. One of the things that's important at our firm, and if people have listened to the podcast, they've heard me and you talk about this before, is uh, our meeting structure. We have more meetings than I think people would think that you'd need, but they're all short meetings. But keeping in contact with each other really helps cut down on the amount of confusion. And I think when you first left, I thought, I don't want to take control of any of Michael's meetings because he does a meeting a weekly meeting with intake, a weekly meeting with management. I mean, there's a couple of different meetings that Michael does without me and Sonia. And um, I did feel behind on stuff because I wasn't participating in those meetings. And I honestly think if I had had those meetings with the people that Michael supervises more directly, then there would have been some time saved with back and forth confusion on my part where I'm trying to get caught up on what's going on. And I would have known kind of that more day to day, so I could have more easily made a quicker decision instead of a bunch of back and forth. So I think next year I might actually probably do your meetings so that I'm more abreast of what's going on and I can catch things as they're happening instead of hearing about them and thinking, oh my gosh, wait, let's, we need to go back two days and not have done, have done that. But so I actually do that next year. I think you should. And thinking back, because I think not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of the people I manage. I mean, the, the intake people need to know what to focus on today. The marketing people, the my assistant need to know what their focus needs to be. They need to have a way to get immediate feedback. And so I, I think that there needs to be some kind of re... I mean, a lot of times we're having those meetings while you're having meetings with your team. So, you know, there'd have to be some minor adjustments. But right, right. Yeah. I think and that's I mean, probably and a good thing. For the audience, the reason that we had decided not to is because I'm still obviously managing my team while this is happening. I mean, we, I still have an active litigation docket and that's all still happening. And Michael's meetings would take place at the same time as mine. So we thought, nah, you know, let's not move everything around. I'll just do the meetings without me. Um, but I think, I think I need to be a little more involved next year or someone else. Or someone it, else. Right. right. Someone needs to be going to be the one that's in charge or doing it. But I think immediate feedback um, for people is important. And that's why we went to this meeting structure is because people needed more immediate feedback than lawyers would give if they're in depositions or hearings and all that all day. I mean, I think I would change that. And then I would probably, um, I would probably make sure that our bookkeeper doesn't quit. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you could tell me how to do that. <laughs> but you know, everything else, you know, luckily I, we have uh, the most amazing office manager who has been doing, has been working with Michael for a long time too. So she is a nice crutch to lean on. For things that I wasn't super familiar with, she was. So we were a good team, I think, in that regard, that we were able to lean on each other, which was nice. So making sure she's available, but she was this time. So um, that that made it easier. Yep. Well, I will say that this is my first day back in the office uh, because of the AAJ conference. And then we did our firm employee appreciation event that we did once a year yesterday. It was actually 16 or 18 days I was out from when I, you know, the Friday that I left I guess the one thing I wouldn't mention that I would do different, I just remember that, is, you know, I left my phone here, and then I had another phone I was trying to set up, and these are more like personal apps, but I have two-factor authentication set for a lot of things, 
and also some websites that I wanted to go log into while I was in Europe. I had two-factor authentication, and so without my phone, I couldn't log in or I couldn't install certain things on my on my other phone. So, you know, I would have set all that up better before I left. Uh, the other problem was like I had I was traveling in Europe, and so I had a fraud fraud alert on the credit card, and then the fraud department wanted to do two-factor authentication. And I'm like, well, I don't have my phone, and that made them real suspicious, and we. I finally, after about 15 minutes, talk, give them enough of my information where they believed it was me, but it was, uh, it was interesting. I feel like you, every time you go out of the country, you have one of those fraud alerts. I don't know what's up with your credit card. I never have that issue. I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> no, you knew it was going to happen. You even told me, you're like, every time I know it's going to happen, I just have to be ready for it. <laughs> yeah, it, and it did, and it totally did. And, uh, and the funny one is like, so I know like the MasterCard is going to happen no matter what. It just, every time I use it outside the United States, I get one. Then my American Express, I mean, I bought a watch. I bought purses for my wife. No problems. I tried to uh, buy it. While I was on the plane, I tried to buy an Audible credit to download a book to listen to. And now I'm I'm getting, and, I, and I'm, I've had to talk to them multiple times now. I'm, I'm getting fraud alerts from American Express for trying to buy, a, you know, a $19 Audible credit. Uh-huh. After I spent, I don't want to admit how much I spent on purses, and uh, but I spent a lot more than nineteen dollars at, at uh, Chanel and Hermes. <laughs> so, how funny is that? How weird? Maybe that maybe they're used to me doing one and not the other. I don't know. So now that you have your list of things that you had to do when you come back, does it feel overwhelming? Do you feel like yeah, these are some of the things that I wish that maybe Mallory or and Teresa just handled instead of keeping on my list? No, I have a fairly short, it's no longer than my to-do list usually is just from my own procrastination and taking on more than I should take on personally. But I think it just is a real reminder to me that, you know, I really need to not take on more than I can do in a, you know, nine or 10 hour day and maybe even an eight hour day one day and really, you know, focus my, my time on the things where I, I add the most value to the firm, to our clients, to our referral partners. And and realize that I have a lot of really smart, hardworking people here that are, if I let them do it, are really capable of doing things. Uh, they may have, some of them other than you will have, may have to struggle some because they'll have to get used to making decisions themselves or making plans themselves. There's one one thing I'm going to try to do because I think I hold people back when I, when I save them by coming up with solutions when they come in with problems. And that's not to say that if I saw someone doing something wrong that I or that would harm a case, I'd just let them do it. But there's a, the woman, Liz Wiseman, who wrote the book, Multipliers, told a story that she was working for someone brilliant early in her career who was a big writer, and he, she'd do a lot of proofreading. And she said one paragraph he has, like, because it was a brilliant concept, but it was awkwardly written, and I struggled with it, and I just couldn't figure out how to rewrite it. So I just put AWK, which period, which is awkward, basically telling him to rewrite it. And she handed it to him. She said, like, within 10 minutes, she hears, like, stomping down the down the hallway. And he just walked right into her desk, up to her desk, gave it back to her. He goes, never put AWK without an FIX. And so I think, you know, if I get back to, before I try to help you, what? how do you think, how do you think we might be able to solve this problem? And 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 not jump in there as much for people and, and make them learn. And then if I disagree, I'll tell them. And then, you know, if they need like information from me. And at the end of the day, if they can't do it, I'm not going to let a case go bad because I'm trying to see, teach them a lesson. But if it's not something where the decision has to be made this second, maybe it's like, why don't you try to think of some solutions and come back, talk to me tomorrow and we'll go over them instead of me trying to 
solve all the problems for people. And I, and I look at my to-do list and I think I'm still taking on too much of jumping in and, and doing things that someone else could probably figure out how to do, maybe with some guidance from me. And then, then they know how to do them and they gain that confidence. So I think that's a big lesson I learned and how that I can not just make my own life better, but really help other people to reach their potential. I had a great talk with Joe Freed, uh, and he's made a lot more money than I have, but but we're both at a position where you make more than, a, once you make a certain amount of money, making more doesn't have a material effect on your daily life. And we were both talking about, you start getting the goal of how can I develop someone else? How can I see someone else improve? And you get a, a joy from that that's greater than the joy of having another 50,000 bucks or another 100,000 bucks when, now, yes, that is a lot of money, but I said once you have your house, your car, you get to go on trips wherever you want, you get to go eat wherever you want, you kind of buy within reason anything you want. You know what? There's bigger things. And to me, you know, watching the development I've seen with you over the years and the development I'm seeing in some other people. Uh, so, like Joe says, like instead of thinking about like how much does he want to make, he thinks like how much can this other person in my office make? Now, of course, that's going to make him money too, but it's just a different way of looking at it. And I think that. I can use this experience to go back and, and look harder at how can I develop other people to make good decisions, to do other things that I'm doing myself. And then I can focus on even bigger and better things. So that's my goal. I like it. I like it. I'm excited to hear your ideas for it. We have our upcoming quarterly meeting. So, Okay. Well, Mallory, uh, I just want to publicly thank you uh, for letting me have the life that I have and for handling the law firm for me for two weeks. and. You're already putting me back to work, so I guess I better go back to work and start getting ready for these trials. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us by calling 210-941-1301 to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.